0: You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy Seven and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage with a post-Christmas episode. We're recording this uh, before the holidays begin. It'll be going up onto uh, your podcast feeds a little bit afterwards. Uh, My name is Blake Murphy. I am one of the co-hosts of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, Tonight I'll be talking to you about a Cardinals win, the second in a row over the Seattle Seahawks, winning 27-13 Um, Not a traditional, very unorthodox style of win overall for the Cardinals. Uh, And here to talk about it and break it down with me is my co host, as always, the Venerable John Venerable. John, how are you doing coming off of a surprising victory by the Arizona Cardinals that we really didn't anticipate?
1: Yeah, if you were to ask me which victory outside of the Seattle game, or excuse me, the New Orleans game uh, earlier this year that I thought would be the most difficult coming into this season. Uh, this was the game. Rookie quarterback on the road, a Seattle team with Super Bowl aspirations, certainly playoff aspirations. I think most of us felt like they were going to be one of the top tier teams in the NFC, um, and they are. But we, we, what we've also seen is there's a severely flawed team, and we'll get into that. This was the most, and I put this out on on Twitter, this was the most dominant performance by a Cardinal team to Seattle that I remember seeing certainly during the Pete Carroll era you, you probably have to go back to maybe a few of those Wizen Hunt teams that beat up on some transitional Seattle teams hmm. but certainly nothing like this I, I couldn't expect this would would happen I had a feeling uh after the Browns game when the Cardinals played so well specifically offensively and they were starting to find their footing a little bit defensively now I certainly didn't expect this kind of outcome but I felt like they would keep this competitive. I, I certainly felt like they'd cover the spread, which was, I believe, nine and a half points, which seemed crazy high. Um, the Cardinals did not play particularly well. Probably played one of their worst games of the season when Seattle came to Arizona in um, week four, losing 27 to 10. The team is just, um, specifically offensively, has grown so much since then. Defensively, we know what a hot mess they've been. Um, but I, I, I felt like they'd play, this, they'd play this game close. Seattle, of course... Nursing a ton of injuries, and then they sustained more. But this is the NFL. There's, there's no pity party. Um, you are what your record is. They're ele- they were 11 and three, hosting a, a, f- a four and nine and one team, and they got absolutely <laughs> steamrolled yep. by this Cardinal team. That, listen, we'll talk about the Murray injury. That was unfortunate. But I think, had Kyler Murray stayed in this game, the way this game was progressing, Cardinals, I think, easily would have hung 30 points on, on this Seattle defense. They were moving the ball very consistently over the course of the second and the beginning of the third quarter. They got hosed on, on what looked like a Larry Fitzgerald touchdown call at the end of the first half. And they, they ran the ball as effectively as I can remember them ever running it point blank. They, Kenyon Drake, we'll, we'll touch on it, Blake, has become uh, a focal point in this offense that we never thought he could be. Uh, of course, Kyler Murray's running ability, Brett Hundley, what he did in the fourth quarter. But just their their way of kind of establishing dominance at the line of scrimmage. Sean Kugler, their offensive line coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Th- this is, for the most part, the same cast of characters, albeit back from injury, that the Cardinals had last year up front on the offensive line. And they're doing this week in and week out. They sit ninth overall as the most... Ninth best rushing team in all of football. They've got second, only behind Baltimore in yards per carry. Uh, it's, it's, they're going to set franchise highs in rushing this year. Nobody saw that coming. I would have thought for them to do something like this on the ground, Blake, they would have had to add you know, two premium guards and free agency in the draft. They'd have to solidify right tackle. Maybe Mason Cole comes in and plays in all-pro center position. No, they're doing it essentially with the same players they had last year outside of Jr. Sweezy. Now they've had some health this year that's, that's, that's been on their side. But I, I think that and the defensive performance that we got from an inspired unit that Blake, by the way, has played significantly better mm-hmm. when they've moved on from somebody like Terrell Suggs. They've gone younger in the past two weeks. Yet Hassan Reddick has transitioned to outside linebacker and he still has his flaws But look, much more comfortable. Cassius Marsh had a sack on the day. I just, I feel like this team playing the young players. And of course, the reassertion of Patrick Peterson playing up to his abilities has made a difference. And they put that all together yesterday. And they withstood an injury to their most important player. And for the first time this season, the team picked up Kyler Murray when he has had to pick them up every week they've played. And I, I was happy to see it, and they owed Kyler Murray this kind of outing.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's where, when the game started, a lot of fans were like, oh, no, just because the game started with a three and out, I believe, by Arizona. Seattle took the ball and ran it up their throats with Chris Carson. You saw a completion to the tight end. And then a nice little flip-trick play to the fullback, and it just looked like it was you know, a potential start to a blowout with how Arizona got off on the wrong foot. Almost immediately, you saw a huge pickup with the 80 yard touchdown to Kenyon Drake, the longest touchdown we've seen since 2013. Rushing the football with Andre Ellington, I believe, in that Falcons game, uh, you were almost immediately realized, oh, it felt like it was a different Cardinals team this time around than that team that potentially earlier this year, I think, would have turtled up, would have basically kind of taken that punch on the cheek and said, thank you, sir, can I have another? And that was one thing that was very encouraging because, like you said, John, it did show progress. Cardinals followed that up by holding Seattle and being able to not only rush the passer, but be able to get off the field a couple of times. Um, the game essentially, in a lot of different ways, I think at least... Um, Turned around when you looked at the uh, play where the Cardinals were driving down the field. They've gotten a good drive going. Kyler Murray has been flushed out of the pocket a couple of times. Gets out of bounds using his legs. And you have that crazy play to Larry Fitzgerald. He ends up running out of danger to the left. Um, you've got, I think it was even, it was KJ Wright, I believe. No, it wasn't KJ Wright, was at the end. I believe it was like going around um, one of the linebackers. It may have even been Bobby Wagner. Flips the ball side on Larry Fitzgerald, kind of almost like the Patrick Mahomes left handed pass against the Broncos. Fitz catches it, realizes that he's got daylight as the defenders over pursued, takes off, steamrolls over right, and then gets into the end zone to go up 14 7. Suddenly, it felt like the 12s were silent, and that there was kind of almost the. Uh, feeling of like you know when you're a bunch of kids playing around in the house or something like that and all of a sudden you kind of hear a garage door opening you're like uh-oh mom's back in the house that's I think what it felt like for a lot of Cardinals fans and I think that's how it felt for a lot of Seahawks fans as well considering that this was not an unimportant game this was not a game that they slept through like you said John this was a game that they essentially could have been able to help push them to get a number one seed or even a number two seed now that The Packers have a lane opened up, and it makes next week very, uh, very interesting. What were some of your thoughts, at least, on how the offense looked early, but especially the defense? How did they do in being able to limit the Seahawks through the first half, where I believe that they held Russell Wilson to well under, uh, I think it was even under 60 yards or so, passing the football in the first half, and they held their top two receivers without a catch until the third quarter. What were your thoughts on the defensive performance?
1: Well, just to put it in perspective, they had one receiver one true wide receiver, catch a pass in this game. Lockett had a 12-yard had a out route, I think, in the fourth quarter, and that was it. DK Metcalf was completely shut down with one target and no catches via Patrick Peterson. This was Byron Murphy's first true game, manning just the slot corner all season. And he and um, Chris Jones did an admirable job on Tyler Lockett. Um, they kind of com- comboed a little bit on on Lockett throughout the duration of the game. It was really it was the play of the secondary in combination with the play of Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones had probably the best game any individual pass rusher has ever had for the Cardinals in probably at the modern era. Certainly since they've been in Arizona. Four, four sacks, mm-hmm. a force fumble, three tackles for loss. <clears throat> played the run exceptionally well, had six quarterback hits. Um, this was – we and I don't like the excuses that I'm hearing from Seattle fans. Well, they didn't have Dwayne Brown. Russell Wilson has just dominated the Arizona Cardinals without top-tier offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. This was the worst I've seen him play and the least productive I've seen him since that 6-6 tie on Sunday Night Football, I believe, in 2016. I want you, everybody, to keep this statistic in their head because it it really is um, an an impressive number from this defense that that I, Blake, certainly didn't think they were capable of. So outside of Seattle's opening drive, which was 89 yards and a touchdown, where it looked like Arizona was going to get wiped the floor with again defensively, after that drive, Russell Wilson and company managed 135 total yards for the remainder of the game. So you're talking about yeah. for probably 90% of the game, they were held to 135 yards. We've seen opposing offenses <clears throat> get that from the Cardinal defense in like a minute, a minute and a half. If you talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, the end of a a quarter, uh, certainly leading into a half. And so I, I thought, <clears throat> you gotta, I have to apologize, everybody. I'm getting over something. Um, I... I just thought it was probably the best outing defensively they've had since the Packer game in Lambeau Field a year ago under Steve Wilkes. And like I mentioned, it was the combination of Jones, the secondary, with two really emerging stars for this team. Of course, one has really already emerged in Buda Baker, who's playing his best football now, Pro Bowl nomination for the second consecutive year, this time at, at safety, where previously it was for... Um, special teams.
0: Yeah, he's starting I, this year. That's one of the coolest right. progresses we've seen. Was came in as a rookie special teamer. Twenty eighteen was essentially used as a linebacker. Still had that type of presence, and essentially is the if you wanted to look at that, the starting. Uh, pro Bowl safety for the NFC at the free it's safety position. It's unbelievable. His I, play is definitely deserved it.
1: We, pro- we probably feel like he got the majority of his votes on that Thursday night game on Halloween against San Francisco when the majority yep. of the national televised audience got to see him against George Kittle and how well he played. Um, that probably did it for him. I, the play of Jalen Thompson has come out of left field for, I think, everybody in this organization. Maybe internally they thought he was capable of this. Um, but he, he looks like somebody who's going to come in and be that kind of Tony Jefferson safety that they've missed since Tony left. Um, physical, can play the pass. They got him for a day three supplemental pick, a fifth round pick. He's, mm-hmm. He is, in my opinion, proved everything you need for a starter in 2020. So you're talking about next year, and I don't want to jump too far ahead. You've got your two safeties, in my opinion. Yes, you probably need to add a rangy third safety or in another experienced corner. But I think the combination of Baker and Thompson is going to be such a valuable piece moving forward. Those two in particular played phenomenal. I mentioned Byron Jones and Chris Jones, Chris Jones, young player, three passes defense, of course had that really nice breakup late in the game. Um, I, it was the secondary's best game probably in two years. I, th- I thought that's how well they played. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think it was a combination of, you know, Pete Carroll, conservative nature, fourth and one, third and one, throwing the football, opting not to establish the run. Listen, Seattle, when they wanted to, ran the ball effectively in the tune of 91 yards, 4.6 yards per carry. The difference being that uh, the aforementioned Buda Baker laid a hit out on CJ Prosize, mm-hmm. broke his arm in the process. Chris Carson banged up. you know, Elijah Penny wasn't available coming into this game. So the physicality of the Cardinal defensive backs really set the tempo to the point where they abandoned the run completely. Part of that was out of necessity. And then when you become so pass-dependent like they were, Chandler Jones was able to eat alive the backup tackles for Seattle. And it was a perfect storm. It was everything that we wanted this defense to be coming into this season. Blake, we talked about it so much that coming into this year when we talked about players like DJ Swearinger and Patrick Peterson and Byron Murphy and Robert Alford. We thought the secondary was going to carry this unit, and we thought that a couple players in the front seven would emerge. Well, that, it just hasn't happened yet. So hopefully this is a sign of things to come for 2020 when you're talking about the strength of your defense, because we know the front seven has holes in about four different spots at minimum. The secondary, to me, has the best chance to take off for this unit come next year with the combination of you've got Patrick Peterson on a what we will assume is a one-year contract, approve a contract, he will want to get paid the following offseason, and then a combination of Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, and Byron Murphy, and potentially Chris Jones, all young, developing players getting better. That should be the staple of this defense, what they're known for next year. And we could see a resurgence of the group that we saw elevate this team during the Todd Bowles, James Betcher seasons. When you talk about Rashad Johnson, Patrick Peterson, Tony Jefferson, some of those young players that spearheaded this team into right. success. That's what this, that's what this franchise has been known for elite when they're good, elite defensive back play. And and hopefully Sunday was a sign of things to come.
0: Yep. Between the elite defensive back play and always having at least a solid wide receiver, it's been good for Arizona to, Uh, see some of that progress. I I think, and this is where if you're going to ask, what's the difference? Why is the Cardinals defense playing better now than they played previously? I think it comes down to uh, the adjustment that the defense has made with Vance Joseph. It seems like over the last few weeks in particular, especially the last two, he's shifted his approach from playing a lot of soft zone, from playing a lot of these cornerbacks off, to just Here's your man, go and stick with him, shut him down. So what we saw with last week with Peterson going after Odell Beckham Jr., being the man cover guy on him, just one-on-one, cover your man, press cover him, you got your guy. Byron Murphy, hey, if he's in the slot, he's your guy. Chris Jones, hey, if he's in the slot, we'll get you some safety help on Tyler Lockett, but he's going to be your guy. I think that the adjustment by making that, by playing that press man defense that Vance is what we've talked about, probably refused to play all year long last two weeks we've seen it pay off and so I don't know if it was a shift of position it may have even been um you almost kind of call it like a riverboat run scenario where Rivera was a conservative coach who was under threat of being fired started going for it on fourth down and it paid off for him big time where he was able to keep his job and see a resurgence it would not shock me if Vance feeling the heat was like all right I've not trusted our defense for most of this season to be able to play buttoned up on the back end, being afraid of giving up big plays. Maybe it finally got through. where was like, hey, we just need to go and play our game. We're going to be a press, co- press cover defense, and we're going to send guys. We're going to send blitzes at them. And I will credit Cassius Marsh, who had a solid game. It won't show up as much on the stat sheet against his old team, but there were times where you would saw he would win with the initial pressure and Chandler Jones would be there to basically clean up when Russell was trying to go. One of the plays, he had a shoestring tackle of Wilson as he's trying to scramble outside. I think in some cases, like you said, John, it almost was a perfect storm where you had no left tackle, the running backs went out injured, you were able to shut down Lockett. Peterson on DK Metcalf, essentially, like you said, no catches for the game. The only catch that could have happened was on a long, deep comeback route that was essentially um dropped by Metcalf um and I think that that was ultimately the big difference with the Cardinals was not even just the perfect storm of things that happened but for me it was the tenacity if you look at the Cardinals every single time that they got punched in the face the reason why this team I think did different on Sunday than they have in the past was that they always got back up and then they counter punch you look at Seattle marching nine plays 89 yards down the field scoring a touchdown to open up their possession. Cardinals scored on the next play with a one-play 80-yard touchdown run by Kenyon Drake. You see Seattle where they're having a punt exchange back and forth, and then they have a 40-yard punt by Michael Dixon to Seattle's 48. Farrow Cooper returns that ball to the three. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. And then you have a flag on the play. It's a blindside block on Ezekiel Turner. You watch the replay. Yep, he hits the guy where he can't see him. And that pushes the ball all the way back to the Arizona's 46-yard line. So you're thinking, ah, oh, this is like a perfect example. Of course you have a play. The team in the past, I think, maybe even the team a month and a half to two months ago, probably would be deflated by that. You end up going three and out, and then you go down. What do the Cardinals do instead? They end up picking up with a Kyler Murray scramble, pick up multiple first downs with Kyler using his legs, and then that's when you have the 21-yard uh, pass from Murray to Fitz. You also look at late in the game where you talk about with Murray's injury. The Seahawks essentially were going back and forth. You had a 20-7 to game. Kyler gets them into position to score a field goal, leaves the game. They take a sack on the next, uh, I believe it's the next possession with Hundley, Give it back to Seattle, they punt it. The Cardinals drive down, are ready to get a field goal, and it's blocked. It's returned for Seattle, the Seahawks, all the way back to the, I believe it's the Arizona 16-yard line. And this is one of those cases where all of the Cardinals fans I know are like, oh no, here we go again. It's a special teams play that lights them up. They drive down, they'll get a touchdown. They're only down by three. This is how Seattle wins games. And instead, what did the defense do? They counterpunch, they got back at the end of the third quarter where essentially Seattle, for a bizarre reason, runs the ball, Jordan Hicks blows the play up, and they hold at the 9-yard line. It was like that every single time. Even when the last play, the last scoring drive that Seattle had, they had a 42-yard 8-play drive to get within 7. What do the Cardinals do? On the very next drive, they have a 9-play 78-yard drive to go down for a touchdown to Kenyon Drake. So that was, to me, John, the story of the game, It was not just the Cardinals essentially having things go their way coming into Seattle, but it was the tenacity of the team that every single time there was an obstacle in their path, whether it was bad plays, possessions, opponent scoring, even their quarterback leaving and sitting on the sideline for the backup to come in, they always were able to answer. And that was a huge step forward and probably why this is probably going to be, I think, the most remembered Cardinals game of the year overall, John.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's particularly close. I think that for I think it was their most it was their most dominant victory this season. Um, majority of their games, they they've won kind of by the skin of their teeth. That the only one I can think of is maybe Cleveland last week. Uh, the Giants game was close at the end. The Giants had a chance to win it. Um, same can be said for Cincinnati. Uh, so I I think this team really kind of made a statement that you know what we're going to play hard for our head coach. Um, We're excited about 2020. We're excited about the players we have in-house. And I I think it it just speaks – I think it speaks so highly of somebody like Cliff Kingsbury who came into this league with critics and um, cynics around the NFL basically dismissing him as a quality coach, play caller, whatever, leader of men. And he's responded. And he has turned this offense – That was one of the worst units in the history of professional football. One of the worst offenses of the the past 20 plus years into a roughly a top 16 unit for the most part and a top 10 rushing team again. And I, I think this is the most impressive thing with the same group of individuals that Mike McCoy and Steve Wilkes had outside of Kyler Murray. Now I know Murray is a big chess piece, but to do that, in a historically competitive division. The NFC West this year could have fielded three playoff teams. It's going to field probably three teams with with winning records, uh, a team with 11 wins, a team with 12 wins. I mean, that is unbelievable. For them to be competitive, they should have more than five wins. They should have won at least two other games. You think about the Tampa game. You think about the, both of San Francisco uh, wins against the Cardinals, specifically that one at San Francisco. That, to me, is the biggest um, point of progress when it comes to Cliff Kingsbury, to go on the road as almost a double-digit underdog. I mean, what other new coaches have been able to do that this year? I mean, you look at what you know Matt LaFleur's got in Green Bay. They've got a retooled defense. They've got a Hall of Fame quarterback. They've got an above-average offensive line. They've got Aaron Jones. They've got Devontae Freeman, or excuse me, Devontae Adams. Cliff Kingsbury, Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell basically had to court him here and say, Cliff, we need you just to make us competent. Can you do that? And we've got bottom five personnel in the NFL. Oh, okay. I'll turn around and I'll make this team watchable. And they're going to go on the road against the number one seed at the time in week 16 and beat them handedly. Uh, and again, I don't care about injuries. They have the probably the, the runner-up for the MVP and made him look incredibly mediocre. This mm-hmm. is the best receiving core I think Russell Wilson's ever had. When you talk about DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, consistently should be 1,000-yard receivers moving forward. So I just, to me, I think it's, Yes, it's about Kyler Murray. He's going to get the accolades. He's going to have sky-high expectations next year. But when people talk about this team and he hasn't been perfect, you have to highlight the job that Cliff Kingsbury has done with a team in complete rebuild and transition. I mean, this team on paper could have easily gone 2 and 14 in this division. Yep. But they're yeah. going to have a ch- they're going to have a chance to avoid double-digit losses and have a ton of positive momentum going into the offseason. We've talked about the cap space, the draft capital, the ascension of young players. To me, it's it's as much about Kingsbury as it is about Murray, Blake.
0: Right, especially since, and this is something I compared the game to when watching uh, Murray's performance last year, you look at the Texas Tech-Oklahoma game, uh, Cliff lost his starting quarterback like in the, I believe it was the first half of that game against Oklahoma. They got up early after Murray threw two interceptions over the middle. And the way that game ended with his third-string quarterback, because the second-string quarterback was also hurt at the time, was with Cliff about to tie the game with a two-point conversion that essentially was dropped. And then Oklahoma goes on to win the game. But it just shows some of the tenacity, at least, of being able to, um, like in a lot of other places, being able to adjust, to adapt. You saw some of the plays that were able to, um, not really even some of the plays obviously were just much more of a run game focused at least wanting to make sure that they didn't offer unnecessary turnovers take unnecessary sacks. But there were still some deep throws that they had at least to Christian Kirk one that wasn't caught there were some plays that were made um, and Hunley for what it was was extremely emotional after the game he came in he was with the Seahawks. In 2018 so it's against a former team Um, he also helped out uh, his former team that drafted him the Packers as a result by beating the Seahawks which I know some Packers fans on my Twitter timeline were uh, excited about Um, but it showed when he was able to make some of those plays with his legs in the different areas it just showed that the NFL is a very different game from this whole playing in the pocket this whole 10 and versus 11 type of mentality um, Henley was able to come in, manage the game, and be able to get the Cardinals what they needed, which is really just one more score to decisively end it. And the defense, for what it's worth, did the rest. Whenever Seattle tried a big play to get back in it, like you said, Chris Jones had a pass breakup up late. Um, Buda Baker, on another play at least for that one, came up over the top in a free safety, showed off some tremendous ability to get in play, and made a play on the ball where Lockett may have been able to beat Jones, or at least it would have been close, but Baker was there essentially to just get um, get in the way of the pass and prevent any hope of a Seattle comeback. So look, we've talked about this, John, you even sent it out that um, Vance Joseph, you think that this week, and when you pair it with last week, I don't Maybe things change, assuming if the Rams have another 33-7 to game, regardless of having Kyler Murray or not. My guess, at least, though, John, is it seems like we've seen enough, at least from Vance Joseph, that if the Cardinals can be able to perform well enough next Sunday in the season finale and to not get steamrolled over think you could probably say, all right, we're going to add, you know, another veteran defensive coach to the staff. We'll roll with Vance Joseph another year for the continuity. But I don't think fans are going to be, you know, up in arms and bringing in torches and pitchforks if that's the case, like they may have about a month or two ago, John. We were ready to bring the torches and pitchforks back because I was at the point of saying, hey, Vance, he hasn't adjusted. He hasn't changed. And if he's not going to change, then he's on his way out. And Credit him for that aspect. It seems that whatever change he has made, which I believe was starting with that secondary, it right. seemed to work and galvanize the team, especially Patrick Peterson, who was dancing in the locker room after this game. And we've talked about him all season long as being kind of the lifeblood of this defense in a lot of ways. And with him missing and him disinterested, that was probably part of the reason why the defense has struggled so much.
1: I think what we had talked about before the season, because you and I both predicted struggles i thought they'd be early season struggles and they would find their footing because i like a lot of the talent on the back end that hasn't been the case but i thought um for him to have a chance to keep his job and have success long term he had to develop the young players on this team he had to uh, get chandler jones back to a position where he felt comfortable the outside linebacker because they had gone away from that last year and jones was still productive but not 2017 productive and you look at the first half of the season, the second half of the season, I, I, I almost look at them as quarters. You look at the first quarter of the season when they were um, playing below average football, the second quarter when they went, you know, on their three-game winning streak, the, the third quarter of the season, which included a losing streak. And now to the end of the season, they're playing well. And the young players for this defense are developing. He has done a nice job with Buda Baker. He has taken on the role of mentoring Byron Murphy. Now, Byron Murphy has struggled over the second half of the season, but he's been key on his development into the NFL. Talk about Jalen Thompson. You cannot command the job Thompson has done and not also give credit to Vance Joseph. Where he has struggled and where there's defense has struggled, I think for the most part, has been containment of the tight end, which is an indictment on him. And I think just overall... The, the past defense has been horrifically bad, historically bad for this franchise. Well, we've seen an improvement of that over the last two weeks. Is it a flash in the pan? I'm not sure, but of course it helps to have a motivated, you just mentioned, Patrick Peterson. I think getting Terrell Suggs out of the locker room has helped this unit. I think you talk about elevating young talent, putting Hassan Reddick at a position he's more comfortable at, the continued play of Jordan Hicks. And then, listen, one of the things that got me excited about Joseph before this season was what he did in Denver, not only with Von Miller, but they had another young pass rusher in Nick, um, not Nick Chubb, but um, Bradley Chubb, who was Defensive Rookie of the Year with, I think, like 12 sacks as a rookie. When he has the talent up front, those guys put up big numbers. The problem with Vance was, and Benjamin Albright said this, he said when he's got talent, he'll produce games like we saw yesterday. But when they're stripped of talent, he's not going to be the one that elevates this this defense. And I think to a lesser extent, you could say the same thing with like a James Betcher, who has not had a good season for the New York Giants, but he was gifted a very um, rising unit from Todd Bowles and kind of carried the torch, right? I think if you make a couple – additions first of all the defensive line has to almost be gutted and refueled and you need at minimum another linebacker specifically inside if you're able to do that i think it will go a long way assuming that a couple other young pieces develop and get better the car and you mentioned this blake on an earlier podcast this year probably i think in early november if the cardinals were not historically bad defensively this year and were just bad we're just like 25th, 26th defensively. They would have probably a 500 record with how good the offense yep. has been. They would look like
0: the Bucs. They would look, like, that, the Bucks. They would look right. like how the Bucs are at like a 7-7 and record going into yep. the last two games of the season.
1: They're going to look at that in the offseason. They're going to say, we're going we're to sleepwalk our way to a top-10 offense, we feel like. If we play complementary takeaway defense and we finish somewhere between 22 to 26 we should be a playoff contender and contender. What I mean is in contention for a playoff spot. And I think they can't, I think what you're going to see is a, is a front office in free agency that will go heavy on defense. I think you're going to see a more calculated approach in the draft that's centered around long developmental pieces, complementary pieces for Kyler Murray for him to elevate specifically at receiver, tight end offensive line but i think where you get the most bang for your buck in free agency is defensive front 7 jordan hicks players like that that you can substitute right away and get production from mm-hmm. cardinals need to do that they need to find the jordan hicks at defensive tackle and they almost need to add two of them i get asked probably every week on twitter from you know fans of the podcast which we appreciate who are they going to target in free agency specifically on the defensive line i think they'll play around in that second or third tier and i think they'll sign a couple different guys i don't think they're going to go out and spend 60 70 million dollars you know guaranteed on one individual I don't player don't think they're
0: going to go off of they're not going to go after Jadavion clown no but <laughs> I, I don't think, think that's going to be the case
1: not to get too deep into a free agent conversation spur of the moment i just i think you look at the guys who were again that second wave of free agents, I could see them signing two defensive tackles and not thinking anything of it because that's how deprived they are of talent up front. Imagine if, I was having this conversation with, with my dad today, imagine if Chandler Jones had an interior pass rushing threat, not even a, a stud opposite him, because that's asking a lot, right? But just somebody who could apply pressure from the interior. He, I think he'd have break, broken the sack record by now he has no help no help in garnering these sacks up until recently yes he got some supporting help this week but for the most part he has done it by himself which yeah, just Terrell shows you how, how as dominant a partner he's been
0: was not a partner really for him no. which he and was a vegetable. It's amazing. Yep. And so, so I, I think that you're totally right about John. And this is where we are to talk about is we actually have a narrative going into next week. If Chandler Jones can get three sacks of Jared Goff next week or get two sacks and then credited with a half, then – it's going to be a really fascinating discussion around Chandler Jones heading into the offseason because that may be what gets him noticed not just for the more underrated player in the NFL and maybe where people start talking about hey is this is this a Hall of Fame guy that we're just watching under our noses? I think there's more and more talk that's picking up around that now and that's very encouraging for a lot of Cardinals fans especially because Jones is under contract for the next 2 years while you still have Murray underneath in your I guess you could say rookie contract Window. The biggest thing I do agree with you, though, for the Cardinals is if you want to take the defense to the next level, and this is something I talked about on the podcast with, um, where I think we were out for that last week. The original idea, I believe, was trying to get Cliff to fix the offense with Josh Rosen, draft a guy like a Nick Bosa, and then have those two be able to push the defense forward. Instead, you're seeing kind of the opposite, where the offense has been the one that's having to pull the defense along. So getting a partner for Chandler Jones within the next two years to be able to, whether it's replace him in the long term if he's getting long in the tooth, or to be able to just come alongside of him, that's something that I think is definitely a, in some cases, a need for the Cardinals. But on the other hand, you can also look at how the team effectively went from Calais Campbell, Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones to just Chandler Jones and really did not lose a whole lot as far as being able to get pressure and on the pass rusher er, on the passer overall that just shows that in a lot of ways of building the team you need to have at least one of those guys who can win one-on-one who's just an elite level pass rusher the Cardinals fortunately have a guy like that who can make some of those big plays and have a big game like that and that's great to see because you need these building blocks to move around because you take a look at Seattle on the other side and If Jadavion Cloudy doesn't sign with the team and goes to another team in free agency, their first-round pick in LJ Collier, he's not looking great so far through his first season. He maybe will turn it around somewhat over the years two and three, but I think overall, John, what you're talking about at least is how the Cardinals look like a team that's going on the rise and the Seahawks look like a team that has kind of been playing with house money with Russell Wilson in a lot of these late games, and this is a game where they didn't just regress they regressed hard. And so that's something I think a lot of Cardinals fans can hope for heading into next year um, is that. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this year first. And the most important thing that's left this year is the question, will Kyler Murray play next Sunday? He had a hamstring strain, according to at Sheet, Ian Rappaport, didn't show any serious or significant damage. He was up and walking about, didn't seem like there was anything going on, just more of like, a, yeah, I can't, I can't go all out. It can't be me is what he said after the game. That was why he effectively chose to not go back into the game. Uh, I was reminded a bit of the Chiefs playing Patrick Mahomes on almost, I think it was not a short week, but, and having a slight tackle that caused a much more serious injury where he may still have to get some offseason surgery. He's come back and has played well. This was a case where it seemed like the Cardinals, maybe a lot of fans, I think, looking at the win now, could say, hey, They played it smart with him. Maybe they play it smart with him next week. Do you think that the Cardinals will play Kyler Murray next week, John, against the Rams? And should they play Kyler against the Rams?
1: I think it's done. And no, they should not play him. Uh, First of all, we should all thank uh, the God above. Or if you don't believe in God, lucky stars. Whatever your preference is this holiday season. Whomever yeah, you want to pray thank to. Thank
0: Larry Fitzgerald. It's Mary Fitzgerald yes, after all. Mary Fitzgerald, right. yes. <laughs> um,
1: that Kyler Murray has a low-grade sprain uh, or a pull, whatever you want to call it, in his right hamstring, he's fine. He's going to be fine for next year, off season. Totally, totally good. Let's keep it that way, and let's not I, – I know he wants to play. You could see how dejected he was. He wanted – he they – he knew they were physically dominating Seattle, and he wanted to cap off that victory. And I love that, and that's why we need to keep we need to keep him healthy and safe. And there's nothing safe about that Rams defensive front and what they've done to Cardinal quarterbacks in recent weeks. If this was literally any other defensive front, in my opinion, I would play him. But what the Rams have done to, to Cardinal quarterbacks in in the history of this franchise is it leads to <clears throat> the injured reserve. So, with that being, and Wade Phillips teed off on Kyler Murray just a few weeks ago. Now, I do think they're going to play more competitive, ironically enough, at L.A., and the Rams have nothing to play for, but you, you, you cap it off as a hell of a rookie season. You take your draft pick, which is probably going to improve after Sunday. Let's hope for a spirited win, but if they lose, you can understand, without their franchise quarterback, it's easier to stomach even though they're going to pull out all the stops to try to win that game with Brett Hundley. And we can go on and look at an optimistic off season. The one thing that could throw a wrench in that if, if, if you tried out Kyler Murray, when he's not healthy and I anticipate when this goes out, Blake, they would, will not have practiced. He will not have practiced at all. And so I just, I think the writing's on the wall. Every indication uh, that I'm hearing is he's not going to play. Um, and so I think it's a smart move. It's the move I would make. Um, I'm already excited about next year. I'm excited about Cliff Kingsbury. Listen, we haven't even talked about Kenyon Drake yet and how much money he's making for himself. (laughs) Continue to ride Kenyon Drake and see if you can ride him to a victory in L.A. and just run the the same kind of offense you ran with Hundley in the fourth quarter with a little bit of read option mixed in and and see if you can establish dominance against the Rams. It's not going to be easy. But I, I, I do think they're going to play better, um, especially with the defense playing the way they are now. So uh, I, I, I think the, the smart play, Blake, is you sit them and you congratulate them on a great rookie season. Probably not going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year now, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter.
0: Well, well, and that, that's where we'll see. I think, like if, like you said, Cliff said that he thinks if he's healthy, he'll play. What I at least think will be more likely would happen is the Cardinals will have Murray not practice on a Wednesday. You'll see um, probably Drew Anderson get promoted from the practice squad at some point just because of that fact. Uh, maybe he'll even be limited throughout the week. My guess overall is if you're going to be going up against the likes of the Aaron Donald and Dante Fowler. And With a Kyler that's going to be less healthy than normal and not able to get away as much, I kind of agree with you that if he goes out there, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up being, hey, all right. he was fine after two days, he ends up practicing in full on Friday, seems like he's good to go, just because he's that kind of athlete who, when you even watch the play... Um, He got shoved out of bounds late. Essentially, he still wasn't caught. He didn't take, you know, a big hit like we've seen some quarterbacks take injuries. Garoppolo and Wentz come to mind for having ACL tears there. It was more of a case where he just kind of got maybe not rolled up on, but just kind of a a little push in his step where the hamstring kind of took a little bit of a tweak. And it was enough of a tweak, I think, where if you look at him earlier this season – uh, he did show up earlier with a hamstring, I believe, injury on the injury report a couple weeks ago. Has not been on there since. Makes me wonder if it was a slight reaggravation that he's been playing through. Um, would not shock me at all, especially considering the fact that he's such an athlete and a freak that you don't notice. He could be running down and you know hurt. He could still be running a four-four instead of like you know a low four-three or something like that with his speed that he has. It is an encouragement, I think, in a lot of ways to know that this is a quarterback who. Not only is he a fierce competitor who wants to be out there and wants to be playing, but is also a smart competitor who's not going to be putting himself into harm's way or harm's danger or taking unnecessary risks. Sometimes you talk about, hey, like this guy's a tough player, he's a warrior, let's go out and see more of him. And then you take a look at the likes of Cam Newton essentially being out for the whole rest of the season after taking on an ankle injury and being so beat up just because he's trying to be Superman and you look at Andrew Luck retiring at the age of thirty, you don't want that to be the case for Kyler Murray. You wanna make sure that he's able to be smart. I think he knows and understands some of that too. It's just in his nature. And that's something that we don't see a whole lot of, I think, in the NFL, which is much more of a hey, you gotta play, you gotta win, you gotta tough it out type of league. In that case, maybe Cliff is a little bit different. Cliff potentially he could have pulled, you know, Murray for Hundley and decided to keep Kyler on the sidelines, Um, and the Cardinals could have lost that game. People may have criticized Kingsburn, like, hey, was your quarterback good to go? How is it that you're losing a game? And he, I think, is a different approach that if that's going to be the case and is focused not on, you know, the short-term games but the long-term ones, your hope is that it can turn the Cardinals into a long-term, prosperous-winning franchise versus just like we've seen with Bruce Arians. You saw a lot of wins, a lot of – essentially a lot of growth – and you did see ultimately injuries take their toll and it flamed out after a couple of years. And uh, to his to his credit at least with all of that, I think that is a uh, it's a play that we're hoping for, I think, as fans. And I think if you talk to 99% of fans, I don't think that any of them have a problem with what happened. And furthermore, because the Cardinals got the win, you avoided any sort of controversy uh, in that aspect. So uh, good job at least in that uh, in that management of being able to manage a team or a game. Uh, John, one thing I think that's interesting we haven't talked about for a few weeks now is uh, the status of Steve Keim. Uh, we believe that he's pretty much safe. A lot of fans, I think, are maybe nervous after the last two games after the Cardinals have won or are hoping and looking for change. Uh, on one hand, I think I did want to at least point out that it was a weird kind of post-game vibe that he had where it just it looked... I don't know if it's maybe just the, the type that he is at or the mood or whatever it was, but he just looked not himself and just kind of he down did. a little bit shaken. It. it was, it was really weird. Cause it stood out so much where I'm like looking around the rest of the room. Michael Bidwell was like, you know, like clapping his hands on the head, like this kind of like bright eyes. Look cliff is all getting guys who were like, they're like, Hey, we got the Rams coming up. Let's make sure I got everyone a game ball. Patrick Peterson's dancing, Larry Fitzgerald. It's like, there was a mood that was all going up around the locker room and Steve Kime, for whatever reason, it looked like there was like an E or rain cloud that was hanging over him. So, I have no idea what that means. Maybe it was just a simple case of he's got a cold or something like that one and is something that's hard to read into, but it was almost impossible not to notice. That being said, it's really hard to picture if the Cardinals winning these last two games and then go into the season finale without Kyler Murray, you almost feel like that's a free pass. And if that's the case, then the Cardinals in aspect kind of are playing with house money these last two out of the three games as far as when it comes to Steve Keim and his job status.
1: Yeah, he's safe, uh, 100%. Uh, the only way we talked about it, yeah, you mentioned it about a month ago, had they gotten routinely embarrassed uh, over the course of these last few games because of the outing against the Rams, um, and they came back and they played uh, pretty competitively against Pittsburgh and then, of course, won the Cleveland game, uh, I think he, he would be on thin ice, and I think they would be forced to make wholesale changes. Um, but I always thought this was a two-year deal. You give him an opportunity to add his head coach last off season. You're making huge, you know, organizational changes and uh, taking another franchise quarterback in the top ten again, trading away another. I mean, you're not going to do all of that and then move on. Um, and to his credit, I mean, a lot of the players he's brought in have played well this year. Uh, a lot of them haven't. Uh, he's had, he's had his fair mm-hmm. share of misses, um, especially in the draft. But I will say. His, his big in-season addition has been a home run. Kenyon Drake has, has been as, as better than anybody could have imagined. Um, the hiring of Kingsbury, I think we, we can all say, is a huge success, especially um, with the addition of somebody like Sean Coogler up front. Um, Vance Joseph has underachieved and has, has not done well. But I think you combat that with, with Kingsbury and the offensive side, and that was really Michael's primary focus. I mean, they wanted an offensive coach. They found one. He's been way better than I think even Kime and Michael thought he could be this first year. Murray has been fantastic. Um, So he, and then we talked about the play of somebody like Jalen Thompson, Um, you know, Byron Murphy's taking his lumps. I still think he's going to be a good pro. Kime has a lot to hang his hat on. Um, And so yes, the win loss record Mm -hmm. over these last two years has been, has been rough. But then I also think uh, behind closed doors, how many wins do you think they thought they could get this year? I mean, realistically, I think probably about we... six and
0: ten. And yeah, what's yeah, really and funny it was... is they have a chance to get six and ten next week. Right. If they beat the Rams, then they'll essentially, like you said, John, they'll have avoided double digit losses by going five, eleven, and one. I believe, actually, sorry. Um, it would be what is that four, five, five, ten, nine, one. One. Yeah, five, five, nine, and Yeah, five, nine, and one. So, six, nine,
1: and one, or ten, five, correct. They, we were told there would be no math five, ten, <laughs> and one, or six, ten. Nine and one. I think he's already, I think before the season, Blake, you and I predicted, I think five or six wins that the Vegas had them at five and a half. Um, I think that's what internally they thought maybe a ball bounces, you know, one way that they could get to seven wins maybe, but I think this is right in line with expectations. And I think you're talking about, I think there, there's a difference between being five and 10 or five and 11 and looking inept offensively and lucking into a couple wins because you played a team for mm-hmm. backup quarterbacks or whatever, or let's say Murray wasn't playing well. Murray has played better than many had pictured. Kingsbury has called plays um, at a very high level. Those were your two big selling points to Michael Bidwell. Um, that I, I think the, the win loss record is kind of secondary at this point. Um, that they, they've had, a, they had one national TV game that they should have won this year against San Francisco on Thursday night football. They're going to have a lot next year. I, I think they could have as many as three, mm-hmm. maybe four next year. I think they're going to get a Sunday night game, a Monday night game, maybe two Thursday night games. Um, so I, this is a team that, regardless of how you feel about Steve Keim, he is going to have resources upon resources to try to turn them back into a contender. Do I re- agree with it? No, we Blake and I have been adamant that we thought they should have made a change. But you're, you've gone this far. He 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 managed to get to the finish line of twenty twenty nineteen. We got one game to go, and um, they're right in line. I think where they thought they'd be.
0: Yeah, unless there's some sort of um, surprise change, where you, you think of the Dolphins, were like someone in the inside gets elevated and kinda of takes a back seat in the organization, unless that's like already in the full, which from what would sounds like and what we at least don't believe, it doesn't make sense really even to do that, because essentially you'd be saying, Hey, we're just gonna kind of take the same thing that we've been doing, the same plan, just removing the figurehead from it really a lot of that doesn't seem like it would necessitate a move when you'd be more saying, All right, well let's go and take a look at the end of twenty twenty instead and if the team able to take a step forward, then you would be looking at all of those uh, those type of moves. I do think the question with Vance, at least for me, and this is how I feel, I even tweeted out before the game, if you bring back Vance Joseph next year, it does feel like that for me, the caution you would have is, it seems very likely to me that Steve Keim, if things do not go according to plan, you're not able to take enough of a leap defensively. It could be a dangerous move to bring him back or even bring him back but not have, say, a safety valve. The Cardinals with Mike McCoy were able to bring a safety valve in along with their uh, soon-to-be offensive coordinator now with the Bucks, Byron Leftwich. They're able to move on from Mike McCoy, bring in Byron with the scheme, and be able to kind of salvage enough of the offense. They don't have that capability this year. The only guy who they even really had available, we even talked about, was... The uh, linebackers coach, Billy Davis, who was hired out of Ohio State, probably was more hired to be a mentor type guy for uh, the transition from defensive end to linebacker, maybe for a guy like Nick Bosa, bringing him back to a Cardinals organization. If the Cardinals end up saying, hey, like Bill, we brought you back for this one, you know, you can go on and pursue other opportunities and bring in a linebackers coach who potentially has maybe... Former D.C. experience, I, I don't see them going or doing a Wade Phillips type of approach for that at all, at least. I don't think that's the case. Now, if you are say, hey, Wade was a guy who Vance noted his defense and he's willing to come there, sure, but he's gonna be in, no, he's not going to take anything less, I think, than a defensive coordinator role or a nice long retirement check unless someone's willing to pony up for him. So I think that what the Cardinals should do this offseason, what Steve Kime needs to do, is to kind of hedge his bet bring in someone who's able to you know maybe it's make a few changes around on the staff it happens every year but maybe you're a bit intentional with some of those find the areas that you're weak and then also bring in a guy who can kind of push Vance a little bit to be like hey if you're not going to get this thing turned around like we could after six games get a hook yank you out of there and put this guy in who's able to run the scheme that would be more of what I think you would want to do if you're the Cardinals now Let's talk a bit about some of the postseason possibilities, at least, as far as when it comes to the draft pick. Cardinals um, got a win. I think that pretty much everyone can say that if you wanted to talk about draft position versus what it means as far as for the Cardinals as a team and for a guy like Kyler Murray's confidence and even confidence in Cliff Kingsbury, this is essentially a, a win that Cliff was able to take over and manage the game. Um, as well as the confidence that I think was built in Vance Joseph. A lot of defensive players said that they wanted to put confidence into their own selves as a unit, and they did a lot of work paying off. Um, I think that's where a lot of fans, if you're angry or frustrated about that or felt like they wanted to be changed. Don't think you need to worry as much about that or like not overreact to it. Um, the Cardinals went from the sixth pick in the draft. Right now they're in ninth in tankathon.com. So they, in one single blow, because of their strength of schedule and because of how many teams are at 5-10 and 10 with their tie against the Lions, the Cardinals now are looking at the ninth pick. So you take a look and some people wonder, well, is there a chance or a possibility that another one of those teams would pass them up? And it's kind of hard to see. If the Cardinals win next week... Then you're probably going to be talking about a jump somewhere to probably a very similar jump to where the Cardinals were at the end of the 2016-2017 season, picking probably about 13th or so. If they lose the game, then you'd have to look at one of Jacksonville, the Chargers, or the Carolina Panthers to be able to win. The Chargers are playing the Chiefs. Chiefs are have a potential shot at the number two seed. The Dolphins at 4-11 and 11, I know have a interesting strength of schedule kind of approach where they're close to Arizona, if they are able to play spoilers for the Patriots then the Chiefs might move up to the number two seed. So both the Patriots, who are playing the Dolphins and the Chiefs, who are playing the Chargers (laughs) have reason to potentially win so that's one of those cases where you're like okay, seems like the team that would be interesting to watch would be Miami because the Patriots, let's be honest have not really looked that good the last couple of weeks, even the last game that they played overall against the Bills, it kind of came down to A late touchdown, Um, the Bills were looking to potentially tie, were not able to get the win to seize the division. So you're talking about maybe the Dolphins team can play spoilers, can make things a little bit muddled up. Um, The Chargers, it seems like, is going to be the case there. The team that I was curious is the Jacksonville Jaguars are playing against the Indianapolis Colts, who've been, for the most part, the last couple of weeks have had some strong performances and then some massive duds that they've put up. They're coming off of a win over the Oakland Raiders in their last game in the black hole. Yeah, kind of a bit of an upset there. And then the Carolina Panthers. Now, the Panthers are also interesting as they lost, uh, actually, I believe that they lost a the game last week that you had to they did. the, uh, who was it, to the Colts, actually, 38-6. to Their offenses just looked awful. They've been swapping in and out quarterbacks. And they play the, of course, New Orleans Saints who have a shot for the number two seed. So you're talking about all of these teams and playoff matchups for that one. And so if you're looking at the bump up from six to nine, I think the biggest thing you're going to have to question and wonder about, John, is is there going to be a player in this draft who's going to be integral or important enough that, one, the Cardinals will be able to see either fall to them or, B, would consider either moving up for – or is this the year to potentially move back? Because – What I think at least is interesting about this spot overall, John, is outside of the top three picks, maybe even top four picks, depending on some of your feelings for that one, there's not really a true game changer in this draft. And if there is at a position, there's two or three other guys right behind him at that spot, whether it's tackle, wide receiver. The only three spots I see that really there's not a replacement for would be Derek Brown out of Auburn at the defensive line. Um, Jeffrey Okuda, the cornerback. There's even some other decent cornerbacks. He just looks like he's on track to be one of those top five locks. And then, uh, of course, Chase Young, assuming that he declares out of Ohio State. Um, So, yeah, it'll be uh, fascinating, I think, to be able to see because after those first three to four picks, I think, are off the board, picks five through nine are going to be very interesting with the teams and their needs. And it does seem like, John, this is a deeper draft this year than I would maybe even argue that we've seen since 2018 and then deeper than 2018 mm-hmm. and even maybe 2017 last year's draft was pretty awesome if you look at the players how they turned out in the first two rounds especially R- this year looks draft. it's almost this one almost looks like it's deeper in some aspects so what are some of your thoughts at least for maybe some of the fans who potentially were like i just want the cardinals to lose out to have a better draft pick yeah. is there anything you have to say about the mentality or to maybe dissuade from some of the panic that may be going on
1: i mean i want <clears throat> good things for excuse me, Cliff and Kyler. Uh, But with that being said, I mean, Kyler, if he doesn't play this weekend, um, it's hard to envision them winning. And it it probably is not going to be the worst thing in the world if if it gets them a slot or two in a meaningless Week 17 game. But I also want Cliff Kingsbury to have continued success within the division. So I'm torn. I will never root for them to lose. And if I could have it one way, I would have it um, be a victory this Sunday. But a consolation prize of moving from pick nine to let's say pick seven um is worth it in my opinion i'm not going to be disappointed either way the only way i'll be disappointed after sunday is if they have some you know significant injuries but you know you mentioned it blake you've got the the top of this draft that we think um and it's early things could change after the bowl season after the you know the final four guys elevate themselves but we figure Joe Burrow, Chase Young, I still think two is going to go exceptionally high. Um, after that, after those three individuals, I think all three are going to go in the top five. After that point, they even could go one, two, or and three, depending on how this finishes out. You've, got a, you've probably got a group of maybe like 10 to 15 prospects that can elevate themselves into that top 10 discussion where the Cardinals are going to be picking and the Cardinals are, are at an advantage right now where the, the two positions you could argue they need the most help at, offensive tackle and wide receiver, those are two of the, the deepest positions in this draft. So like you said, I, I don't think there's going to be one single player that, that is worth moving up for, specifically when you have as many needs as the Cardinals do. They need to keep their picks. Um, could they trade down? Theoretically, sure. If they miss out on a couple players, let's say a team wanted to move into the top 10 for one of the second-tier quarterbacks.
0: Say say someone moves up for a Justin Herbert after Tua goes. Could could absolutely see that
1: in play, but I think we've learned from last year, and the Cardinals had offers for the number one pick, maybe not to their liking, but they had offers. And specifically in the second round, they had offers for Byron Murphy. They opted to keep their picks and made the, the pick for the player that they coveted. And for the most part, it's worked out. So if you're sitting there at pick seven, eight, nine, and you like... Ceedee Lamb or Jerry Judy or Andrew Thomas or Henry Ruggs or Derek Brown enough that is an additional second next year or third this year really going to help me in the grand scheme of things. The Cardinals need impact players wherever they can find them. This is a draft, like I mentioned, that's going to have significant talent at, at positions. When you're pick, when you're a bottom five roster in the NFL, picking in the top ten. Really, you're, you're not drafting for need. You're just drafting, period. And outside a quarterback, you could make a case for any single position, probably not running back. But I, I think the Cardinals are going to be in, in a nice spot, Blake, regardless. If they, if they win this game, even if they drop to the mid-teens, I still like their position because I like that momentum that, they, that, that this gives them. This offseason is going to be based around not their first overall pick or their first-round pick. That was last offseason. How can they tweak this roster? Free agency is going to be key in the fact that they need to add quality starters in depth. And then they need to find those players in the draft that can come in and be contributors next, next offseason. Ne- or excuse me, next season. You're able to find, good teams find, good executives, personnel people find great players in the middle of the first round. So if they win and they're picking 16th or 15th or 14th or whatever, fans are going to be disappointed. But, man, you think Kyler Murray is going to be disappointed knowing that his team ended the season on a three-game winning streak and they're playing well and they know they can be competitive next year? Would you rather this team look like the Jets, you know, during Sam Darnold's mono situation when they looked horrible, absent of their Mm. quarterback? Would you rather have this team look like the Redskins? No, you you want renewed optimism. You want to know that, wow, I can go into battle with this head coach, with this coaching staff. And let's just pick the best player that falls to us because we need so much right now. Um, I think it would say a lot for this for this coaching staff if they're able to win Sunday Um, and whatever it does to the draft slot. You know, we'll talk. We'll have plenty of of months to break down what they need, where they'll be picking. A lot of that's going to change because of free agency. It just in my opinion, they signed Robbie Anderson to a huge contract. I think they should still target a receiver, but I don't think they will. I mean, a lot of things will play into those into into those um, into those decisions. But like you mentioned, Blake, I think there's a big drop-off from the blue-chip prospects at the top of this draft. And I would probably put at this point Andrew Thomas in that group from Georgia. And then there's a, there's a drop-off. I, I've seen mocks where CeeDee Lamb goes 7 or 8. And then I've seen some where he goes in the late teens. I mean, just, it just depends with, on who you ask. Same with the
0: other receivers, same with some of the guys. Um, it's just going to be one of those cases where, as we remember, no one was even talking about you know, uh, Kyler Murray going at number one this time last year, <laughs> and things drastically changed. It's the, the same good teams, thing that we see just every take, year. Just take the, here's, here's my
1: ask for the Cardinals, and I'm going to say this throughout the entire offseason, and you guys are going to get sick of me saying this. Stay, just get away from that mindset where we need to find the next diamond in the rough position player from x school, play him out of position. The Cardinals need to get back to basics in selecting and they did this last year with with Murray. Selecting top-tier players from top-tier programs, the Ohio States, <clears throat> the LSU's. That's what's worked for them historically. Their best two first-round picks of the past maybe 12 first-round selections have come from LSU and have come from Oklahoma. And I know that you can't, you can't say that for everything. There's David Johnson's and there's John Brown's. And that's I, if you want to play around with that in the third, fourth, fifth round, great. But I, I just go back to Andy Isabella this year and Hassan Reddick of Temple and, and guys playing out of position like Daniel Buchanan. Pick a player, fill a position, get a, get a big-time player from a big-time program that projects to be a great player at the next level. Don't get cute, and they've gotten so cute in mm-hmm. so many drafts. You know, I, as much as we want to bang on them for taking Robert Kimdeci, I didn't hate it because he was a stud coming out of high school. He was a stud in the the SEC when he when he wanted to play. I mean, the Cardinals missed on the player off the field, not on the field. They need to start hitting on some of these players. There's going to mm-hmm. be so many. Desire. This is one of the best Ohio State teams, LSU teams, of the past decade. There are going to be plenty of options. Just take the best player from the best school.
0: Yep, That's, that, that's
1: my only yep. ask.
0: And we've seen a lot of that growth in terms of finding players that fit their mentality and scheme at certain schools. You look at their most successful last few uh, draft picks out of the School of Washington. You talk about Buda Baker. You talk about Byron Murphy. And then even talk about a guy from Swaro High School in a Christian Kirk who's been a overall success on the field in the second round as well. It's showcasing, I think, a lot of the aspect of how there's a uh, there's a certain, I guess, science that you can have defining some of those gems. But overall, it does seem like that there's been at least a difference in how they've managed that the last few years. Again, the bigger question to me is going to be um, the, the player that they'll have as an impact in the first or even the second round. Uh, Hopefully you can find a late gem, but it's still not going to mean as much as what you do in free agency and with the cap room that they'll have. Which brings up, before we get to our Rams preview, let's quickly discuss the status of uh, kind of, uh, I guess you can say thing one and thing two, which would be the status of Patrick Peterson and David Johnson. Uh, Unlike you, I'm maybe a little cooler, but not too much more about Peterson returning for the 2020 season season. Partially just because it depends ultimately, I think, less on the Cardinals willing to extend Patrick Peterson, but more of Peterson's willingness to sign said extension. That's going to be the interesting case is if you can build enough to sign him and for what he's going to want or ask or demand. Seems to me, at least, John, right now things are trending more in a positive direction. It's possible at least we go into this offseason, the Cardinals approach him. Maybe Peterson sees that this is going to be a place to sign up, be a Cardinal for life, that if that's going to be the case. He did talk about how he believes he'll be back in 2020. On the other side, if he's asking for essentially some top-tier money, it might be that it is a case that the Cardinals say, hey, we could get Second or higher, hey, maybe he's even elevated himself into a team where we can bid up to a certain draft pick because of how he's played in the last few weeks. Don't know if <laughs> Peterson's trying to pull that type of a card as well or not. I think it seems to stand that you would prefer to be a team that right now has a Patrick Peterson on it playing well than you would be to be a team that would give up on him too soon, which we did see honestly with a team in the Seattle Seahawks and Richard Sherman Um I think that that's going to be a case where, ironically enough, with uh, Sherman, uh, we got news at least just tonight. Marshawn Lynch is returning to the Seahawks for the playoffs after the Cardinals essentially took out all of their running backs. So uh, do you think at least with Peterson playing well and David Johnson essentially, um, he did almost nothing when he had an opportunity with Kenyon Drake taking on a stinger and was out? What are your thoughts on the status of those two? And then we can quickly kind of look at the preview for the Rams game.
1: Yeah, I I think. I think Patrick Peterson is going to be back with this team. I've thought that all along. Uh, I would have dealt him. We've, we've gone I, I over have, that. I haven't. I've,
0: I haven't done. Honestly, I've, I've thought he's been gone for a little while now. And yeah. He's I, changed. So <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, I think he's, he's trying to make his money next off season in, in 2021. Um, and he yeah. has every right to do that. And I think he's seen enough of Kyler Murray, probably to know that he's going to be able to showcase his skills on national TV next year. Um, and he wants to prove doubters wrong, that he, that he can bounce back from this PED suspension. Um, that's why I was really surprised with his, his lack of quality play right out of the gate following his suspension. I would have thought he would have come back and, and played like gangbusters to prove because he, he's a prideful guy. He wants to go in the Hall of Fame one day. I think he eventually gets there. But um, I, I just think, in my opinion, they've, they've missed their window to trade him. So they're not going to trade him on 30 cents of the, on the dollar and they're going to try to be competitive with him next year. And that's fine. If that's the approach you want to take, um, I'm all for whatever this team thinks is the best route to, to take in terms of wins. Um, I know Kyler Murray, if you asked him, would want him back, and that's good enough for me. Um, and that really, there's nobody else on this roster right now that you'd feel comfortable playing at, at corner outside, sure. assuming Peterson's at his best. Um, so it is what it is at this point. We'll, we'll have to wait to see how it you know, matures over the, the course of the offseason. Maybe they have contract discussions. I don't know, but I, I fully expect him to be back. I think they're going to try to have a normal offseason with him. And I think that he's going to be a big part of their success, good or bad, next year.
0: Yep. And then as far as David Johnson goes, at least just from my perspective, it does feel like that, and this is kind of what's been mentioned, is Kenyon Drake, as you said, is costing more and more each of the games that he's playing. And as a result, you're probably not going to be able to pay both David Johnson and Kenyon Drake. So as a result kind of like you're going to almost have to find someone to take on David Johnson's contract to be able to have to trade him away. See, um, if you can get a fifth round pick back for him, that would be probably the best case scenario. Yeah, I think they would be more apt to having to potentially give up a pick. Like, let's say you trade a... Uh, here, here would be like an example I could give. You trade a 2020 sixth round pick and David Johnson for a 2021 fifth or sixth round pick. That is a possible thing where you're having to essentially take a loss on the trade to get that contract taken care of but I don't think it's a fully untradeable contract I think if you especially if you pay part of it because of the fact that then you can say hey now we've got enough money freed up we can pay Kenyon Drake and take care of a running back position we draft another running back in, in a later round and suddenly you've got you're three-headed monster of Drake, you've got Chase Edmonds behind him, and you're going to have probably another rookie who can hopefully fit Cliff Kingsbury's scheme, and then you can check that box off. If you have to go in, and this will be where I think Steve Keim will have to make that medal, if you end up having to go in with having to see Drake walk to another team, and you're having to trot David Johnson out, it's going to be such a huge loss, I think, for the offense overall. It's going to be very difficult for me to see the Cardinals Um, I guess you could say striking out there. I think it's almost kind of a, you can't lose on that type of situation in that aspect. And I think what Drake's play has shown is that he's shown it. I think that the Cardinals know that as well. Um, Let's wrap up tonight's episode there. Thank you guys for tuning in. It probably isn't going to be as many, but if you are a Cardinals junkie who over this Christmas holiday week is still listening, uh, thank you guys so much, at least for all of that. John, let's have your uh, Rams prediction that we have as we wrap up for tonight.
1: Yeah, I, I, i'm I'm under the assumption that Kyler doesn't play which is unfortunate but at the same time uh, i do think the Rams beat the cardinals um i do think it's it's semi-competitive um but in the end the Rams are are too talented in compared to this team on the road uh some in somewhere in the vicinity of let's say like 24 to 12 something like that where they lose maybe they maybe it's close in the first half but I Uh, They don't have the firepower without Murray, especially when you consider that, you know, Brett Brett Hundley, you know, he is what he is. He's a backup at this point. Maybe he can surprise us and be the next Drew Stanton in the desert. But uh, I still like the Rams in this game.
0: Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be something to watch. I kind of have a close score. I've got twenty three ten with the Rams. Think it's a little closer on offense. I also think that maybe that the Rams aren't going to push the gas pedal as much. If it turns into another thirty three to seven type game, uh, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. For the way that it would match up, it would just be I think overall a disappointment um, to the fans to. Uh, see the season end that way especially with the promise um, we'll find out what goes on at least for that the end of next week and then we'll have a lot to talk about wrapping up we'll have our kind of uh, postseason, I guess you can say breakdown that we'll have a we'll look around some of the rest of the NFL and then be able to get into the season to talk about the moves that we made for 2020 uh, we've seen Patrick Mahomes in year two take off we've seen Russell Wilson win a Super Bowl in year two we've seen Lamar Jackson secure the number one seed in his second year here's hoping that Kyler Murray can be that guy in his sophomore season. Thanks again for listening, everyone, uh, to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. You can find us at revengeofthebirds.com as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, uh, iHeartRadio. Um, pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can find us. Uh, John, where can the listeners find you and your content?
1: Yeah, I'm at uh, Johnny Touchdown on Twitter. And then, of course, right here with Blake, every week on the ROTBB podcast uh, and then revenge of the Hopefully throughout the duration of this off season, uh, previewing what the Cardinals have up their sleeves uh, come 2020 Blake, where they can find your content.
0: It'll be at Blake Murphy seven. And I'm excited to be able to kind of finally dig into all of this stuff with the off season fans. I think have been hoping and wanting to get to this, knowing this was just going to be a stopgap year. Here's hoping that 2020 can, I see hopefully we'll have a Cardinals win where they can be able to kind of cement that 6 there's a 6-9 and 1 season that we hope that they would be. Uh, in the meantime, we'll catch you on the other end of the 2019 season. Thanks again everyone for listening in. Have a very uh, great holiday season and I'll catch you on the I'll catch you on the upside.
1: Amen.